Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, it's Matthew Penny in the building. We're going to talk about the Boston Celtics Miami Heat series that is near and dear to his heart as a Boston sports fan. We're going to talk a little bit about the way that the playoffs can impact the 2022 NBA draft, different trends, different things the teams are looking for in terms of team building, and whether or not you should consider that in your draft strategy as an NBA team. Finally, we're going to talk a little bit about some post-NBA draft combine narratives that seem to be forming. And then finally, mailbag. I've sent out the mailbag question, Siren, already. I'm hoping that we get some good ones from the beautiful, lovely fans of the Game Theory Podcast. Thank you guys so much. Every time I send that out, I'm just so uh, stunned with the amount of people that send questions. Like It's it's crazy. It's stunning after because I I drive home from here. It's about, I don't know, five minutes. And then I look at my phone. I'm like, 20 plus? What are these? And I just keep keep scrolling. And there's there's some really good ones. There's some pretty ridiculous ones. And then some we answer here. We can't get to all of them, but uh, I like having the opportunity to have so much content to create, too. And we always really appreciate them. They're all, they all put a smile on my face in some way. So thank you all for asking. Uh, Penny, let's get started with your beautiful Boston Celtics. Uh, They're up 3-2. They are one game away from the NBA Finals. Where where, where are you at? Where's your headspace at here? What's going on? Uh, I'm in a good place. There was a lot of yelling at the TV early when they, they started off slow, and it was a wrestling match. It was not very aesthetically pleasing, I think we would say. Uh, if you saw my my group messages here, everyone said it was like the worst game of basketball they ever won. But you want to win the worst games of basketball you ever see. So to get a, a victory and get 3-2 heading back to Boston, I took a step back post game and I, I thought about this, and I've been uh, workshopping a little bit. The Celtics have to win right now. And you think of the path they took to get here. You take advantage of sort of a disjointed Brooklyn Nets team to start. You get to Milwaukee with an injured Chris Middleton. Jimmy Butler, Tyler Hero, Kyle Lowry all banged up for Miami. Duncan Robinson's in this like weird place that's not a fully healthy Victor Oladipo, which is kind of like a constant, unfortunately, the last few years. You look out west, I don't like how they match up with the Suns, despite they split the two games a season. And then you have like the fadeaway, Luca Nia put the Suns down in seven games, so like they're out of the way. Al Horford is 35 years old and playing out of his mind. Who knows if yep. you get this Al Horford a year from now. No matter how much you invest in your body, Father Time is still undefeated, and he's on like this yeah. different plane right now. And it's hard to win when other teams are, are down or, or have these disadvantages you have to capitalize. And luckily for the Celtics, despite the slow start last night, they're in a great place. They're up 3-2 and a game away from the NBA Finals. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the injuries. Not to take anything away from Boston, because I don't think you should. Like, injuries happen in the playoffs. This this is what it is. Like, there's not really uh, 
an NBA champion, I would imagine, that had a clean runway to get to the finals without other teams being hurt. And I can see that narrative forming a little bit already on the internet. And it's a little bit annoying to me. Like, you play who is in front of you. And Boston has done an incredible job of just beating the teams in front of them thus far. And they've done it by being kind of deeper than everyone else, right? Like they just have different ways to beat you uh, across the board. And, you know, I kind of want to talk about a couple of just little small things that Ime Yudoka seems to be doing, but like it, it's, it's a testament to the Celtics that they are a little bit deeper and that they are a team that can deal with injuries to Robert Williams and can yeah, deal with Marcus exactly. Smart being out. Like uh, the Celtics haven't dealt with, uh, a clean bill of health themselves. And I think that it's it's a bit dismissive of them to just act like the only reason that they're here is, oh, Chris Middleton's out. Oh, Tyler Hero, you know, missed game five. Oh, um, you know, they, they, they got lucky with the Brooklyn Nets being a total terrible disjointed mess in the first round. Like it's, it, it takes away how strong this roster has been built by those in charge and the particular strategy that they've undertaken building this roster in terms of just adding depth and adding different kind of ways to counter the mismatches that other teams try to create. And the injury, because I hear I can hear the Sullys and Fitzies yelling at me. Marcus Martin has been hurt. Like Jalen is is not 100%. Tatum's got like his arm socket thing. Uh, Robert Williams, God bless him. Like he's playing as hard as he can. Not this game, but the game before. So that'd be what game four, four five. Would have been game four, yeah. He was like hurt. Did you see that he was hurt and like hobbling up and down the court? I'm like, please call timeout. Throw the ball somebody's leg. Just like get him out of the game. And they kept him like missing, and he's running back, and like he won't stop because it's kind of how he is. And the Celtics have also had the benefit of an 80 percent Robert Williams as rim protector is still like an advantageous center in the playoffs because they're just playing him in spurts too. So, yeah, the Celtics aren't 100% either, but you, you have to take advantage of the disadvantages and build from there. It was um, watching last night and watching throughout the series and just talking about Miami to start here. With Jalen Brown, he's had a lot of moments where the handle and dribbling has gotten, like, really shaky, which seems unlike him. Like, every time he puts the ball on the floor and gets in the lane, I kind of, like, hold my breath now. And Ime Odoka got at him a little bit. So like, all right, I read the quotes after the game after three quarters said, okay, it's been three quarters. Like we got to win now, like take care of the ball. He simplified his game. He hit catch and shoot threes, kind of put bam out of bio sort of on a poster, but it was a business decision. Like, yeah, go ahead. Like you got that. I'm, I'm not going to be here in the highlights. And the wildest thing about it, and this is about roster building. And I have to credit my friend Zach for calling this out. Even with Jalen Brown at times deficiencies on offense, right now he would be what Miami's second best offensive creator with Jimmy Butler hurt, with Kyle Lowry, not the same player right now. Gabe Vincent's probably like not that guy. So you think of the depth of what the Celtics have. And even when Jalen yeah. Brown's not at his best, he's probably Miami's like number two right now. And I know Joel Embiid's had a field day with the, the tweets and saying like Miami needs another star. But it's more sort of credit to the Celtics and the way they've built their roster that it's sort of next man up. And you can have a guy not be 100% all the time offensively on the floor and still succeed and win in the playoffs. 
Yeah, and I, I totally agree with that. Like this Miami team, what they're struggling with is just half court offensive creation and Tyler Hero missing game five, just like put it firmly on display for everyone. It felt like, like there's just not a, there's not another way to say it. And, and you know, defensively, Boston is just using this two big lineup, especially with Hero out. Like there's just no, there's no recourse basically. Like they can play multiple guys that just have size and can take up all of the space in the world, but also move their feet because Al Horford can move his feet and yeah. Robert Williams can move his feet a little bit, like uh, quite a bit to be honest. So uh, every time that those guys are out on an island, it's a small advantage for Miami, but it's not a significant advantage. And it, it's, it, it stinks for Miami that they're not totally healthy, but. Uh, I think that Boston has done a good job of figuring out how to utilize its personnel uh, within these games to just make it exceptionally difficult for Miami to really do anything. And Boston's bench has shortened. They basically played seven guys last night. Then the end of the bench played yeah. like a, a minute each, but still found a way to kind of give you those different looks too throughout and give Miami credit for their fight. A lot of my yelling at the TV last night was the offensive rebounds. I mean, Miami had nine in the first half, 19 total for the game. They had all these, like, second-chance points where it's like, just squeeze the ball and get out. And Eventually, Marcus Smart will get in there and mix it up. Uh, but it just wasn't – it didn't feel like it was that Miami team after the third quarter. I mean, the Celtics started slow, and then they came out in the second half. They had some cleaner looks. They drove and kicked for corner threes. Tatum starts cooking. They win that quarter 32-16 to 16 and really held on from there, and – it was almost like playing not to lose instead of win. And they kept chopping it away, but it, it was enough of a, a lead there where I didn't lose uh, any sleep over it. Well, and I, I love what, you know, Miami did defensively as well. Like, look, this was a game that was like purely in the mud. <laughs> like there's oh, not money. another way to put it. <laughs> like it was you a weren't wearing mess. good shoes. It was like the, the work shoes, you know, you got to get outside and get them a little dirty. Yeah. It was just like a pure absolute shit show mess of a game. But I liked what Boston did just to try and like do little things to get their guys free. Like using Derek white as a screener at times was really interesting, right? Like putting Miami's guys in space that might not be comfortable in space and might not be comfortable, you know, playing drop against Derek white or something like that, or like even just switching the screen against Derek white or blitzing the ball against, you know, a Derek white screener, uh, action essentially is going to be exceptionally difficult because Derek can make decisions and he can make floaters and everything like that. I, I thought they did a really good job of getting Duncan Robinson into space and, and just yeah. forcing that mismatch whenever Duncan was on the court. Uh, it, it just does feel like something is off with Duncan, like be it confidence or something, right? Like he just doesn't feel is threatening. Like it didn't even feel like Boston was guarding him all that tightly as a shooter. Did it feel that way to you? No, and this is also a byproduct of Kyle Lowry and Max Struess not being great. I mean, Struess missed yeah. 15 straight field goals. They were combined 0 of 15 last night, Lowry and him. Uh, they're 1 for 28 combined for the field the last two games. That actually helped Duncan Robinson get back on the court. Uh, and what took Duncan off the court, kind of ironically, was the defense at the end of the year and the postseason, not the offense. And Struess was like a little bit better at both of the time. And I don't I don't really know like the the story behind there. Like I don't know if he just hit a wall himself, if he's still injured and, and Duncan's actually shot it better than you would think the last few games. He's seven for eighteen from three. But the threes are when the games are kind of like put away too. So anyway, he sliced it, he's kind of 
became replaceable, and that's how Struz took advantage of that. And then the last thing here before we move on to like what we actually want to talk about in terms of like the playoffs and the draft. I mean, we talked about Al Horford quickly at the top, but mm-hmm. like he has been, know, has he been the most important player in this series? Like Jason Tatum, you know, takes up so much defensive attention all the time that it's probably still Jason Tatum, but like Al Horford in this playoffs has been the you know, the, the swing piece, let's say maybe not the most important player, but like he has been the guy that has kind of changed the fortunes for Boston. You know, he's been able to step up for Robert Williams while he's been out and not just, you know, provide what Robert Williams can provide or provide solid minutes. He's been better than Robert Williams was throughout the year. And Robert Williams was freaking great throughout the year and deservedly, uh, I believe one second team, all defense honors, uh, when those were announced last week. So it's, the Al Horford renaissance is something that like, I thought Al was good. Like if you watched him in Oklahoma city before they shut him down, like he was pretty good actually. Like it was just clear that the Philadelphia fit did not work. Right. And he had no idea what his responsibilities were. And it just didn't feel um, like Al was doing the things that make Al so successful in terms of being able to take advantage of his quickness his positioning defensively just everything that he's so great at great at you watched him in oklahoma city last year like he unlocked a lot for oklahoma city i thought uh or i can't even remember if it was last year or two years ago my brain is like so broken right now um i believe it was last year but uh horford that get for the celtics has just been so so massive because uh, I know that the regular season was just like, oh yeah, Al's back. Like he's back to normal. Like it's the Philly thing was just an aberration, but in the playoffs, he's emerged back into essentially like Atlanta Hawks, Al Horford, where he's, uh, you know, all-star slash borderline all-star center. And what an enormous acquisition essentially for Boston to be able to bring that Al Horford out of, you know, wherever he was sitting for the last two years, really three years, I guess. Uh, but more than that, um, the flashes were there. It just wasn't, it wasn't this version of Al Horford and it's unbelievable. It's so great that he's getting this moment too. I hope the moment keeps going on. And there are a lot of grumbles and groans like, Oh, we're trading or get Horford back. Like this is the guy who signed too much for Philly. That's why we let him walk. And now we're giving up a pick and Kemba, oh, whatever. Do, do you remember the crazy takes? Oh, uh, Moses Boston, Brown. Sam. There's, there's a lot of crazy takes around here. So you have to specify. Moses Brown is going to be the most valuable guy acquired in that trade. Yeah, for the Celtics, that was a real tongue in cheek or or reality. If Jason Tatum is probably this, this is a hedge. If he's the most outstanding player, Al Horford is the most valuable because he's also taken a different roles. Like in one of the games of series, he had five points but fourteen rebounds, and he had twenty points the other game, and just timely plays and passes too. Every time you need a big shot, he's in the corner, he knocks it down. You can short roll and he makes the extra pass. It's a big rebound. It's a big defensive stop. I didn't think at his age he'd be able to defend and switch the way that he is. Yeah. And when you do that in the front court and then you're shooting, I think, 48% from three in the playoffs, that's the guy you want playing center. So I, it's disappointing that we don't have 100% of Robert Williams, but this different wrinkle to the Celtics going more to this, and he's playing 33-plus minutes every single night because you have to. You have seven guys and still – doing more each and every game at 35 years old. 
uh, it's incredible. So that's why I, I want the Celtics to win. Let's build the Al Horford statue, but we, we got to win a couple more games before we get there. Yeah, to me, this is not like a dead series. Like I think that Miami absolutely still has a chance. I don't ever rule out the Heat because this Heat organization is just so crazy when it comes to competitiveness. But it feels like Miami just doesn't have as many clubs in the bag and like doesn't have as many chess moves to be able to make to counter what Boston is doing. So it's going to take like... Duncan Robinson, Max Strus, you know, maybe even like Gabe Vincent, um, you know, Kyle Lowry, these guys making large percentages of threes to really counteract and get the space that Miami needs offensively to operate for Jimmy and Bam in the middle. Um, and we want to talk a little bit about Bam and this idea of uh, the NBA draft, you know, portion of what we want to talk about and how to, um, you know, how to build a playoff team and, you know, how to build through the draft and, you know, what can we take away from the playoffs basically. But Bam's Bam's lack of offensive growth the last couple of years, Bam is like literally, I think, one of the top three defenders in the NBA. He's unbelievable. He's incredible on that end and worthy of, you know, a top three, top five pick, I think, in the NBA draft. But he, he needs to get a little bit better offensively. Like he needs to add a, you know, jumper in some manner. Otherwise it is going to be harder for Miami to keep him out there consistent, not to keep him out there consistently, but just to like take advantage of what other teams present him consistently. Bam out of Iowa was the guy that I still had nightmares over with the bubble with, with him just really ripping apart the Celtics. And I know it's like the bubble is weird, especially for Miami because it's already this unofficial asterisk because it wasn't like a real, it's a championship, but not looked at as the same. Tyler Hero put it out of his mind. Some people call him Bubble Boy. He leaned into it. He did the Bubble Boy t shirt when he won six men of the year, which is great. But yeah, Bam was such a monster there that teams started searching for the next Bam. Like, that's the guy. Like, is Onyeka Kongwu the next Bam out of bio? Now we're kind of doing the, is Jalen Duran kind of have some shades of, of Bam out of bio? It was just very different because despite – if you just look at the box score, he had 18 and 10 last night, but didn't feel like the same guy. I know he cooked the Celtics for 31 points in game three. Otherwise, he hasn't been the player so coveted that we immediately look for, like, the next one of of who he is. And the offense, I I think it'll still get there. Like, I'm not not writing it off either. Does this look different if he has 18 and 10 and and Jimmy Butler is 100% like he was the series before and he's scoring 30 points and, and yelling after each victory? That's possible too. I think we're all still looking for the next BAM, and I think that that is the <laughs> right thing to, to be but, looking for. Sure, but are I we do find it like every class is it going to be defi- right? Is it going to be the yeah. the BAM? Is it going to be defined the the lengthy wing that can do it all? No, that can be what you aspire to, but you're not going to like yeah. correctly put it in the box every single draft cycle either. Yeah. Um, I think the Celtics win at some point in the next two games. I don't know if it'll be game six or game seven, but I think the Celtics are going to go to the finals. Uh, I also said uh, on our tab NBA tip off show that I thought the Mavericks were going to beat the Warriors in this series. So I hope that I didn't just jinx you. Penny. So far, so good. Boston's yeah. a tough place to play on the road. It is. So game six, everyone's going to be all lubed up and excited. So Miami is going to need like a, an unbelievable showing from their wings and the super BAM version to, to keep it close. 
Yeah, and you're, you're gonna you're gonna head in and see all the Sullies and Fitzies. Uh, TBD, TBD. We'll we'll see. I, I kind of wait for my phone that text in the morning, and uh, if I get the bat signal, I'll be there. Oh my god! Every time I say the word Sully, I just think of it was a forced water landing, <laughs> like from the movie. Not that Sully. Yeah, that's a different Sully. Yeah, not not. We that won't be forcing water. They're doing different water landings in Boston. They'll be they're ready to go there. Long weekend too? Are you kidding me? Take it or take it off early. Go ahead into town. It's oh, it will not be quiet. I, that's one thing yeah. I do promise. Can't promise wins and losses, but it won't be uh, won't be. We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP, hackers, and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, For instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla minus one recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan and you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon prime or something to be able to watch it. So when I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. Nord VPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot-blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to nordvpn.com slash gametheory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y, to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash gametheory to claim your account. nordvpn.com slash gametheory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord. And it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash gametheory. Uh, okay, so the, the next thing we wanted to discuss is just this idea of what whether or not you should take away lessons from the playoffs mm-hmm. and implement them into draft strategy. And I think it's an interesting debate for a number of reasons in terms of just how much to do so. I'll just kind of ask you, like, is this something you consider when you're doing draft evaluation, when you're watching the playoffs, when you're, you know, keeping up with the NBA? How much 
are you trying to understand, hey, these are the guys that are valuable in the NBA playoffs. These are the guys we should be looking for uh, as draft prospects. Some. I don't want to get crazy and do like way overreacting. And then a few years later, we step back and say, why do we go so crazy on like this pathway? The biggest takeaway of seeing the last few years, seeing the draft, doing more draft cycle stuff with you is you have to keep a steady hand. And you don't have to blow it all up as some callers in Boston talk radio suggested we did the middle of the year you don't have to necessarily overpay for role player type guys like i'm glad duncan robinson got 90 million is warranted for what he did as a shooter but then he became expendable when he he stopped playing defense and was hunted on defense more so and it's a smaller sense with Peyton pritchard the offense isn't always good enough to negate the defense he's not a bad defender but unless he has 12 14 points it, it's kind of offsets everything else and the Duncan Robinson thing, it only got more burned because, like we said, Max Struess, like wasn't good enough for him to get out there. Wings still rule. Wings dominate. Two-way wings that actually defend rule more. We keep getting smaller by the game and by the series. Boston's rolling out these lineups with at least four guys that can comfortably switch, and that includes Al Horford. And when they don't, you have Robert Williams protecting the rim in the middle. So I, I look out west, and, and Golden State's waiting for Boston-Miami. They roll out their sort of new lineup of death with Draymond Green or Kevon Looney at the five at 6'6 at six, six and 6'9. Six, so the Celtics, if they get there, in a perfect world's Robert Williams, who they drafted 27th, right? Not fifth. And right. Al Horford, who's six foot nine and shooting out of his mind. The evolution. And by the from, way, they're paying Robert Williams, what, like 13 million over the deal. next yeah. four years, right? Which, like it's, grow, they're not yeah. investing significant resources in the center position as well. So to get drafty, the evolution of the front court has continued. If you're over six foot nine, you have to possess a real skill of shooting, shot blocking, switching, or blend of all that stuff, or you're not able to play. That's why I'm really high on Jeremy Sohan. That's why I'm probably getting higher on EJ Liddell as first round guys. They fit into that new front court box. I'll even like slide Keegan Murray into that because I do think he's long enough, switchable enough, shoots it enough where I don't think those guys being run off NBA playoff floors. I did the Jeremy Sohan draft profile for the draft guide earlier this week. I think people are going to be very stunned with where I have him on my board. Oh, boy. I am. How high is too high? Do you have a new number one is the question. Number four. Number four is too high. I don't know that. uh, I don't know that any other position beyond number four is too high. Wow. So, so so even with the offensive kind of I don't want to say lapses, but the the jumper doesn't really go in. Not a great free throw shooter can create, but it can get there and actually finish. As good as the defense is, the switchability does the offense scare you enough to? I guess not. If, he, <laughs> if he's fit yeah, like no, 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 it does. I mean, you're dealing with a lot of imperfect prospects in that range. Um, you know, you, you can point to Shaden Sharp. We have no idea what he looks like on an NBA court. You can point to Ben Matherin, who was not very good defensively throughout the course of this year. You can point to Dyson Daniels, who's a 29% three-point shooter. You can point to, um, you know, Mark Williams, who, you know, doesn't, doesn't do anything on offense outside of dunk, right? Like yeah. it's, it, it is a lot, right? Like there are a lot of flaws in that mid lottery range and that's okay. Uh, Sohan, I think, is probably going to be the guy that I bet on because of all of the defensive tools that we kind of have talked about. I, I think that his defensive tape is just freaking unbelievable. Um, all defense caliber defender, essentially. And 
I hope that he can shoot. Made, I think, 34% of his catch-and-shoot shots this year in the half court. I don't think anything's broken mechanically, but he has some misses where you're just like, oh, this is bad. He does have, like, he brings it a little bit across his body, and, you know, he has, like, a slight twitch at the top, or hitch at the top. But, like, it's, yeah, yeah, there's enough there where you can make it, make it viable, I think. Uh, with the right coach uh, and with the right coaching staff. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm going to be really high on him. I, I think he's freaking awesome. But that, that's that's my guy that's like a modern NBA player that I think can grab and go on the break, can defend literally one through five. Like he is a genuine one through five defender on all but the biggest like Joel Embiid level fives. Uh, in today's NBA, like he'll get hit on the glass against like Stephen Adams, but I think he'll cook Stephen Adams in space offensively. Yeah, uh, it's and it, there's it, always there's only so many Joel Embiid's too. Like how many right. how many games, how many times you're going to do that? And if you're well, just, I'll, if I'll you're exploiting this, though, it down like, the other end too, it bounces out. Yeah, it, you know, and we're talking about this with DeAndre Ayton right now, right? And like what Phoenix should do with DeAndre Ayton. I think part of the reason that you should continue down this road if you're Phoenix is you probably need someone like DeAndre Ayton who can stay on the court in the playoffs who you know can actually defend reasonably well in space who's good in pick and roll coverages who um isn't awesome as a like rotational rim protector still like he misses some rotations I thought that series against Dallas where Dallas really spaced him out uh, kind of laid bare a few of the places where DeAndre really has to work to improve. Um, but like, I, I think that if you're Phoenix and you're trying to compete for a title right now, you actually do have to really consider the idea of, Hey, this is who we're going up against. Like if we're going to win an NBA championship, the odds are we're probably gonna have to beat a Giannis. We're probably going to have to beat uh, a Joel Embiid. We're probably going to have to beat a Nikola Jokic, who, by the way, DeAndre Ayton outplayed in a playoff series last year. Mm-hmm. Like, we're going to have to face up with some of these bigger bodies. If you're a team that is still hunting for a superstar, I probably would not max DeAndre Ayton. If you're a team that has a superstar and has the rest of all of that set, or you're closer to competing for a title like Dallas is to an extent, like that's where I would consider DeAndre Ayton. Uh, But it's complicated because now you're going to have to pay DeAndre $30 million to go play for you. And that's a significant investment. And I don't know. I I don't know. Like it's hard. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a hard decision. Like it's do do Maxim then if you're Phoenix. I max him if I'm Phoenix. And then if it turns to shit early in the year, I trade him. Okay, so the the max, but like the years too. So then you're kind of like beholden to figuring that out the trade space afterwards as well. Yeah, I, it's, I would. It's not like the one year max and then uh, hope year two and three you, you extend or, or whatever. You're you're saying like an actual max years, max money, or maxed in on DeAndre. Ayton. I would try to work out a deal where it's a four year max for DeAndre where I'm signing him as Phoenix as opposed to having him go out and get an offer sheet. Mm-hmm. I would want to do a four-year max for DeAndre where the adv- the advantage for him to take a four-year max from Phoenix as opposed to signing an offer sheet from someone else is like you get 8% raises versus 5% raises, right? Um, 
I don't know if he gets the eight percent raises if he um signs an offer sheet and then Phoenix matches or not. Uh, I believe he does not if memory serves, but I'm not a hundred percent sure, but like work something out there where it's a four year deal. He can't sign anything more than a four year deal elsewhere, but he can sign for more money on a four year deal with Phoenix do that. I think that that contract is pretty easily tradable uh, next year or the year after if Chris Paul you know, eventually ages and becomes <laughs> not an all NBA point guard. Yeah. Uh, but I wouldn't blow it up if I was Phoenix. I, I would keep everyone intact and go for it. I don't know if that's what they're going to do, to be honest. But um, yeah, I, I said on the podcast with Kellen Olson, we did, um, you know, what, a week and a half ago when they lost that I, I would keep this intact and go. I wouldn't overreact to what happened against Dallas. In seven games, too. It's not like they were swept and. You need to make a, a rash move like Charlotte loses. Like, hey, we got a river head coach. We lost. Like, it's a playing game. Like, they're doing good. They're building. I, I'll tell you what, though. I'd rather have Robert Williams for 13 than DeAndre for 30. No question, but I think that this is one of those weird, like, it's just such a strange team-building thing in today's NBA where because of the structure of the collective bargaining agreement and the salary cap, you kind of just have to pay it at the end of the day, I think, because like, what is their option? Like a sign and trade with someone. I, I haven't heard a, I, I haven't seen a deal yet that I think makes sense for anyone. And I've, I've tried to put them together. <laughs> like I've been trying <laughs> you, to figure you fired out up like, the trade machine. Well, it's, yeah, it's, like, it's difficult too, because the teams that aren't the best that are at the top of the lottery. Well, for whatever reason this year, we got three to five, like bigs that could kind of fit that right. mold. Right. I, like you're, all right, Detroit, you're out of the, the top three if you go big and try to sign there. But Orlando has a top pick. Uh, Houston ha- has a top pick. Oklahoma City, like, they have a top pick. I don't know if those teams want to invest that when they can build on the right. pieces that they already have and don't make DeAndre Ayton so uh, – I don't like using this, but uh, heliocentric for, like, their team. Like, you don't have to play through. You'd have to – if you pay him as one of those teams, I feel like you'd have to play through him a little bit, whereas the others you don't, but then you have to be comfortable paying – max money for not necessarily a, a max offensive player and scheme what you want to do and what do we, i mean like i'm not a fan of playing through deandre at this point no, I, mean, there, I think there's a chance he could develop think, yeah. that way but like we i don't think we've seen it from deandre no. where he's worth playing through i think he can be like a 20 and 10 guy that is a borderline all defense player uh but I don't think that really involves playing through him. I think it involves using him in ball screens and DeAndre being a little bit more aggressive, taking advantage of his size and like just fucking dunking on people. Right. Yeah. Um, he He's good enough and athletic enough and long enough and strong enough to be able to do that. So um, it's, it's, it's a weird one, I think. Yeah, it's added too. I mean, the, the three point percentage is, is better. I think he's added kind of new layers to his game too. That's never obviously going to be like the complete game of it. But if you can keep defenses honest, he's still the, the rim running big, finish more in the post, close out, rotate, be a weak side shot blocker. Yeah, but it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a big build. But to like, it is, 30 million plus. so to connect this back to our conversation, like, is, is he the line for what, for what a keeping a big on the court in the NBA playoffs is. Cause I think you can absolutely keep DeAndre on the court because he's too. switchable defensively. He can punish switches, uh, or at least theoretically can punish switches. He didn't really do it enough against Dallas, unfortunately. Um, 
like is that the line like it, it, and then like the other side of that line is like Rudy Gobert where offensively he just can't put the ball on the deck at all and like can't punish switches at all and isn't strong enough to like really like post and seal uh against opposing like is that uh, is DeAndre the line kind of? Because like Bam, you can the, keep the on. New, Robert the Williams, new, the new Mendoza line is the the eight line for yeah. the NBA up front, and it like prob- Robert Williams is like is. this too, like as well. Like yeah. I think Robert Williams you can keep on the court. Uh, like I think that finding the bigs that you can keep on the court that can also protect the rim and can also take advantage offensively in some way of the te- of the way teams play you versus be it skill, be it just punishing teams like Joel Embiid can offensively, you know, be it Nikola Jokic, who's like the most talented, like gifted offensive mind in the NBA right now. Like you you have to be able to take advantage of the distinct like offensive value that you can provide in some way. DeAndre didn't do that against Dallas. Uh, DeAndre has done it in the past. I thought he did it in the first round, to be honest, against New Orleans. Um, Rudy Gobert has not shown that proclivity yet, Hmm. despite the fact that Rudy is the best defensive regular season player in the NBA and probably is deserving of a max contract on some level. Like it's what is that line? Trying to find that line is what's hard. I think about like drafting bigs in general. It is. And where, where does that guy fall? Like you mentioned Mark Williams is, is that worth a a top time? I don't want to say I'm warming up on him, but we've, we've been, pretty high on him all year had more in the 20s now more in the teens but is that are you comfortable with that guy closing games beyond the court probably right but you're not saying hey let's take mark williams seventh or eighth it's interesting like so i really like mark um I do too. yeah yeah like I'm, I'm gonna have a lottery grade on mark because i think mark is mark shows a lot of similarities to me to like a Jarrett Allen type where he's good enough at moving his feet in space to where he can play different ball screen coverages. He, they, he did that at Duke. He covered up for every single little fuck up that Duke's perimeter defenders, Duke's forwards particularly presented him. Um, he, he was outstanding defensively across the board. I thought uh, better at moving his feet and better positionally than what I think he gets credit for. But I worry about how limited his offensive game is. And I worry about how much he can actually punish opposing teams offensively because he is more Rudy Gobert-ish in terms of creating shots than, you know, DeAndre Ayton, where he can just like physically seal and, you know, get a look. Is this draft that we're in now just really funky in that, where we're not crushing, but talking about evolution of bigs and at the top, we we really have three bigs. Do you just kind of yeah, we lean should talk in? about that the best guys, I guess, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, do you just <laughs> lean Mark Williams? I'll do respect th- to Mark Williams. Say this is just sort of an anomaly for a draft. There's no, and I don't think it's Jason Tatum in many drafts, but there's not of that like lengthy, rangy scorer who's the guy. Say, hey, re- we reach on him. Even Jaden Ivey, the, the case we make for him, he doesn't have that that type of size you have a name and you're gonna say it and i'm gonna yell and you're gonna say take shane sharp first and i'll disagree with it oh no i'm not oh so who's the are, name are we sure that jabari smith like isn't that i if if he can like, i mean like do, look like you're, you're gonna yell back but like if you do more off the dribble other than like a one drill pull up and the, the arm thing and the jumpers could he get there yeah perfect world like that's the ceiling but in, until he has the yeah like, jason yeah, tatum yeah. so special he catches the ball that 
it's not like a face up and it's going to be a jumper. It's like a sidestep jumper into a crossover to another one. You leaned in, he leaned in. Jabari doesn't have that bag yet. So if he can get Jabari there, will be a different than that. Totally. But I just yeah. mean in terms of like the whole, the whole skill of Jason Tatum is Jason can just get to his spot whenever the fuck he wants, mm-hmm. rise up and shoot up over the top. Right. Cause that's who he is. And like he can drive and he's gotten better at drawing fouls. And I think that that's the part of his game that is a little bit different from Jabari, but like Jabari's fucking 18 years old yeah. and he gets to his spots and shoots over the top pretty easily already. Yeah, he does. You're trying to sell me off chat. It's not going to happen. Uh, I, I like the, the sell of but it, like that, but- that. This is what I'm saying though. Like in t- this is the positional value of like a Jabari Smith in terms of like, I'm like, look, I don't think he's going to be Jason Tatum. I don't think he's going to be like a first (laughs) all NBA (laughs) guy. But like, if you told me that he ends up being like a Chris Middleton that can like really just get to his spots and pull up and knock down shots at a, you know, 50, 40, 90 clip at some point, I, that's a real outcome for Jabari Smith. I think like bigger Chris Middleton, who's good defensively and, you know, you can rely on him to be really strong on the ball and you can rely on him to be a good weak side rim protector. Like, I, I don't know. I think that guy's really good. <laughs> I think he's really good too. I, I have him second. And I know the Auburn guards have gotten a lot of flack for how they kind of set him up for, for shots and not necessarily yeah. for success. Like under the shot clock, like here, do it, shoot it. But he's kind of create also, everything. He did. But if you're talking Jason Tatum, Middleton's a little different. Like, he's a creator. So you have to excel in that role as a creator. If if Jabari Smith yeah. goes, uh, let's say he goes second, right? He goes to Oklahoma City. Josh Giddey's going to find you, right? You go to the Magic, right. it might just be a little bit different. They'll get up and down. They need shooting. They do. But that's not but just necessarily- don't, don't you remember the Jason Tatum draft conversation? Yeah, where people- I, was, I, was, I was very wrong. I, I thought that he was just like a, a one-way <laughs> player. Uh, I was all in on Markel Fultz. I said that many, many times. I mean, the conversation I was completely wrong on. You, well, like people at Jason Tatum, like, like, look, I had Tatum at two. I loved him, but like, it's like the one thing I feel like I've gotten like very right over the years, and I didn't even get <laughs> it totally right. One. You know what I mean? Um, but Jason Tatum, like, people had him like sixth and seventh on their boards coming into that draft because they were like oh you know he's just selfish like he doesn't really pass the ball well like he eats oh, he's tacos just mid-range. with ketchup on him like we can't trust a guy like that <laughs> Have he's you just seen a that? mid-range yeah. gunner but yes yeah. i know uh, but like this was a real conversation with jason tatum yeah. coming into the draft and i just i feel like the more i watch jabari the more i'm like this feels like a similar conversation where the guards were not very good at getting him like the ball in good spots. Mm -hmm. Jabari doesn't turn. I think he just turned 19. He won't turn 20 until like the end of his first NBA season. So it'll be like, Oh, Jason Tatum is still 19 years old. Like Jason (laughs) Tatum, the same age at that point. He'll turn 19. Tatum's eternally 19. 19. But like Jason Tatum, you know, was so young coming into that first year at Duke and Jason Tatum, uh, and, I think we're like undervaluing that Jabari Smith is like what, like a year younger than Chet and yes, yeah. I think six months younger than Paulo. Like he is earlier in his basketball development than these guys to a yeah, pretty um, substantial extent. And, yeah, and, and I, I'm and, like, I'm, look, I'm not saying he's the next Jason Tatum. I want to no, be very not. clear about this. I just, 
that's not the clip that's going to go on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, I think that there are some real, in terms of the way the playoffs operate right now, being able to rise up and get to your shot efficiently when the game breaks down and when it's grimy and muddy, like we saw in that game five, that is an incredibly valuable skill. And I think that Jabari Smith is going to be able to do that at the NBA level at the end of the day. Yeah, I'm I'm pulling up the, the Duke roster from that team that Tatum was on. It's it's a good parallel in a sense that Frank Jackson was your point guard, right? Grayson Allen, Luke Kennard. So not always like the most ball movement either. Like you you look at right. sort of the assist numbers and they don't like pop out at you. It's like three and a half assists, two and a half assists. So there wasn't like the most ball movement either. So maybe that's sort of like the the precursor from Jabari Smith that he was a kind of a product of his environment playing with Wendell Green and, and playing with uh, Katie Johnson uh, that he wasn't necessarily like had the the platform to to show it all. I thought I thought he showed enough. He's we've read all the the rumblings, the sources, the rumors that he's there for number one. It's a case, regardless. It's a case. Yeah. So I, I guess the like as we're talking about bigs and fitting bigs into a playoff box, right? I don't think of him as a big, really. I think of him more as like a four and like more of a player that can switch defensively and is going to be able to stick in the playoffs very easily. Chet and Polo, on the other hand, like I think Chet is going to be able to take advantage skill-wise of other teams offensively. He's going to be able to space the floor. He can put the ball on the floor. I don't think Chet's going to have any problem staying on the court defensively in a playoff series. I don't think Paulo is going to have too many problems with it. I worry about like his defensive instincts, but like Paulo again is so skilled, so gifted offensively that if you play him at the five, he's definitely going to be able to take advantage of fives. Can you play Paulo at the five? I worry a little bit about, but I think you probably can. Don't you think? You can. In the playoffs, uh, at least. Yeah. yeah. De- uh, again, it depends on your your personnel and your length, one through four. But you could. Yeah. I, yeah. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be like worried about that one. He's not a traditional big per se, in that he's like this bigger wingish type creator offensively, where he's not like a, a back to the yeah. basket post. These are all like new age, new school ways of looking at fours and fives, anyway. Yeah, I mean we're. So you brought up this idea of like the bigs at the top. I think you're probably going to be fine with bigs at the top in the playoffs, which is why they're still at the top of the draft. Whereas someone like Jalen Duran, who started at the top of the draft this year, and as we saw more and more of him, we kind of slid him down the board because we worry about whether or not he can stay on the court in the playoffs. Like, do you think that that stands to reason? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's why I have we talked about it here on this podcast. I've flip-flopped Mark Williams and, and Jalen Duran throughout this process because of that. Because I do imagine and envision, and you asked earlier, does watching the playoff change that? Yeah, you still need a, a big who can do more than one thing that can, even if you're dropping, can still recover a little bit or, or show and get back. I, I worry about him doing that just with the hard hedges, with with his feet and, and going drop. And then if the offense scoring isn't really there, then, then what's he giving you when they're trying to hunt him in pick-and-roll situations like a lot of bigs are during the playoffs? Yeah, the the whole Jalen Duran conversation is interesting because I'm just lower on the movement skills than what I think other people seem to be. Like I, I've talked to very smart people and even like 
very smart people who do this on the internet. And like, it's, it's weird. Like I, I just fundamentally disagree with some of them in terms of like, I think his feet are so much heavier than someone like Bama to bio or yeah, yeah, some different. of these, like, yeah. I, I think his feet are even much heavier than like Deandre Ayton's defensively. Yeah. And it's going to be harder for him out on an Island against really good guards to be able to deal with that. But you talk to other people and they feel differently. Like, I, I think that that's a reasonable evaluation. I just don't necessarily agree with it. That's the value play though. That's like the, I love Robert Williams at 27, not at five. I love Jalen Duran right. at, at 20 and not six. If he's 20 or I don't have the actual picks lined up right here or, or sort of that area. And I don't think 20, I think is San Antonio too, who could use someone like that. Great. Yeah. That it's well, bad, for bad San Antonio example. here, this is a perfect one, right? For San Antonio, San Antonio has picked nine and pick 20. Mm-hmm. You love Jalen Duran at pick 20. Do you love Jalen Duran at pick nine? I don't think I have to, right? I mean, don't you have other bigs on the board that you can love more at, at nine? Or do you just do that like replaceability of what the value is on those picks for you? Well, like, would you rather take Dyson Daniels and Jeremy Sohan or yes. Jeremy Sohan <laughs> and then take Walker Kessler at 20? Or would you rather take Jalen Duran at number nine mm-hmm. and take uh, Jalen Williams at number 20 or something like that? That's not fair. Can I do a hybrid? Can I, can I take well, – I, I just I sign a big – No, it's a good one. Yeah, hard. you're – Because <laughs> I love Jalen Williams. Uh, and I, I think box A is what I would is what I would do. Like I don't think – I would too. We're, we're, we're saying this. You don't, you don't have to reach for bigs, but if he's there at 20, that's awesome. And the, it's sort of like with Scotty Barnes. Like I love Scotty Barnes not as much as, as a lot of people. I'm not trying to do revisionist history here. But yeah. the more he slid with picks, I'm like, great, he's going to get to a place where he can develop. He's not called on to be the number one option. He'll be fine. He gets with an unbelievable franchise in Toronto that developed him. I just believe that if you get into the 20s with some of these bigs, there's not as much pressure immediately to be the guy and score every yeah. possession on offense and stop every play on defense. You get down and become a rotational player, that seventh, eighth man – on a, a contender or somebody who's trying to win games, then you can have these Robert Williams type impacts. Yeah, no, I, I think I would rather do that. And like, by the way, like I don't even think Walker Kessler is going to be able to play in the playoffs. Like I don't, I don't see that for him at all. Um, but I would still rather take the flyer on Sohan or Dyson Daniels than, and then take Kessler and then have a great rim protecting big in the regular season and then figure out my, situation in the playoffs uh then take Duran, who i think can you know potentially play in the playoffs but wouldn't be able to yet um and then take like more of a flyer on jalen williams who might not get to 20 like i, I tried to make it specifically hard uh because <laughs> like that was the purpose but um you know the diminishing returns on that get there quickly where if it's it's Malachi Branham instead of Jalen Williams oh, or it's killing me. Yeah. You do like Malachi. It's, um, you know, Ochai, uh, or Dale and Terry or someone like that instead of Williams. Right. Yeah. These are still all, all, all penny guys, guys. I really like, uh, and guys, Jaylen, I really like too, but, but like, nonetheless, like Jalen Williams you know, is, is a really good one though. Like Jalen Williams, we had a prospect of the week in like January or, or February. Right. Yeah. Like, uh, whatever not very doing the, early the pat on the back ahead of the curve thing but i was like great guy in the 40s and now he's playing well it's like all right great guy in the 30s because of the combine 
Is he a lottery pick? So it's different, though, when you say Jalen Williams lottery pick versus Jalen Williams 25th. 25th, we're celebrating. We're going to the bar. We're doing backflips. 13th, it's like, oh, do we get like too far ahead of ourselves buying into this thing? And you're going to take your guy, regardless of who it is. Just the value for me more is like getting them a little bit later than than reaching early. Right. Right. And let's finish this conversation before we get to the post-combine narratives of Jalen Williams here. Mm. I feel like we just like kind of talked for 25 minutes and didn't really come to any solutions here. I, I think that like the hypothetical of what San Antonio has here is kind of an interesting way to think about it. Like in terms of what the specific gives and takes are of drafting a big versus drafting a wing and then going vice versa later in the draft, the diminishing returns are real like on the wing side. Whereas on the big side, Jalen Duran's definitely better than Walker Kessler, but yeah. like how much better? That much better. Right. Yeah. So you take best player available. You're in the lottery for a reason. Get better and then fit for need as you, as you go on. Well, is it specifically though that you take best wing available? Yeah. That's, that's sort yeah. of our conversation full circle, right? It's, it's yeah. how awesome is Jason Tatum? How awesome is Giannis? How awesome is these guys that can defend and score and be a wing and switch and not be just, Hey, if, the jumper's not falling, like, eh, we don't know what to do with them. Like, if you can't switch, eh, we don't know what to do with them. How do you get, like, a little bit of each of that and put it together one prospect? And generally that equation ends with taking a, a bigger wing if they're there. Well, and, th- and this is kind of the last question to end on. The the things that we've found are valuable are shooting and being able to switch and being able to play defense in space and being able to do all of these things, right, uh, that fit in the playoffs having dribble pass shoot skills, right? Uh, if you're picking an imperfect prospect, like a Jeremy Sohan, like a Dyson Daniels, or like an AJ Griffin, who is all shooting no defense right now, which one do you think is more valuable and which one do you think you can better or more easily morph into a player that can be valuable in the playoffs? Wow. I would take of that group the first two. I would take Sohan and not need him to necessarily be my offensive firepower. Like, I don't need that guy. Just come in and play yeah. D and, and switch one through five. Like, we'll tell you what to do on offense. Don't worry about it, but just switch. If you're worried about A.J. Griffin's feet and who he's able to cover out there, I don't want him to be hunted. You can't hunt Jeremy Sohan. You can't. Like, you can't really hunt Dyson Daniels. I want to be the hunter, not the hunted. Like, I want to be the one pressing. Like, great. If you hit it to the wing and you say, Sohan can't shoot, you give him a ton of space, who cares? We'll do a, a, a dribble handoff. We'll space back out. I can reverse the ball. You can't really reverse on defense. Like, you can switch, but that millisecond that you do, something happened where the, the floor gets slanted for the other team. You don't want that yep. in the playoffs. I think I agree with you. I think it's part of the reason that Miami has been so successful is that they've been willing to dive into these imperfect players and make them work. Um, You know, finding, you know, all offense, Tyler hero and making him work Duncan Robinson. Um, And they've gotten pretty far doing that. And now they're, you know, in the conference finals and Max Struess is playing, you know, up until the last couple of games, at least over Duncan Robinson, uh, because he's a two way guy. And I think that you can figure out a way to kind of make that work, but I think that it's easier to teach shooting than it is to teach the 
tools that are necessary to defend on an NBA court. Like Duncan Robinson, I love the guy and I have an immense amount of respect for what he's built and the money that he's going to make in his NBA career is phenomenal. I don't think you can teach that guy to defend. Like, I, I don't think he has the frame for it. I don't think he has the quickness for it. You can, you know, hopefully kind of teach PJ Tucker to shoot though. Yeah. Right. To take two guys on the heat. So uh, that's kind of where I'm at on it. Okay. Post combine narratives. You mentioned Jalen Williams. Feels like a good place to start. Yeah. Jalen Williams. Uh, how high is too high for Jalen Williams? Because it feels like that is now a thing. Lottery, right? Is, is that probably yeah. the highest that, that I'd say? Like where I have him right now is on my very vaulted big board here is I have him 18th. And even that feels like high, but you take the shot at him there based on everyone else that's available as we kind of like low-key crush the, the top of the draft. But when you start creeping into like 10, 9, could he go 7? That's That just seems too much. So he had a really good year. Uh, I love the offensive versatility. He's like a bigger, stronger wing with long arms, but can shoot, has a handle, really good vision. I don't know if that's really a lottery pick. Could be, and and that's what you're betting on. But also, like I, I like the late riser, but like how much of the incline is too steep for for us to fancy here? That's that's what I'm trying to figure out right now with Jalen. Like. Yeah, I don't know. I don't have an answer to you. Uh, I I would take him in the top twenty. <laughs> you asked the question. But, That's too high. I don't know. Yeah, I would take him in the top twenty, but I need to watch. I need to do the draft guide profile thing and like watch a shit ton of his games and like really confirm it. Like I, I feel good about taking him in the top twenty right now because I've seen enough. But like to know where is too high. Like, do you take him or AJ Griffin? Like you probably still take AJ. I think. You probably do, and I. It's it's why like we make these big boards and then say who do you take and say like the other person because I, I don't want it. Like I'd say Jalen Williams, but I have AJ Griffin higher, so it will be like team and need dependent, and it will rely on intel and, and medical and interviews, and not just stuff yeah. on the court too. For for both it, players, it looked like players, AJ's really. you know like missed multiple seasons of his career with yeah. injury, so like the to younger, act like right? the medical won't be important to him though is. You know, it will be like it. Not to say that he has a concerning medical. I don't know. Do not aggregate this. This is not a. <laughs> this is not me saying that the oh, medical boy. is concerning. Some... This is me saying, look, NBA teams. I, I can say this. NBA teams do want to see AJ Griffin's medical and oh, have to. confirm yeah. that it's good. Um, I didn't talk to you about the combine though on the podcast, and I do want to give you the floor to just. <laughs> You know, give some thoughts. I have a couple, or, I have a, I have a couple takes I took, and I thought you and Spins yeah. were great covering it. A couple side notes I, as I took it, I was reading the book, watching the pod with you guys. Can we make it mandatory to at least measure? Like, it don't have to do medical. That's yeah. fine. You don't want to play. You want to be a semi-mystery man. That's fine. Can we get everyone measured? Can we just do height, weight, wingspan, hand size, maybe a crazy and do vertical? I just don't like it when – and we made fun of it on a podcast. Great. They invited 76 guys and – the G League elite camps are the 40, whatever. 45 guys don't play. We'll talk about that next. But can we at least get measurements of what these guys actually are? Like, that's the part that kind of, like, drives me crazy. Yeah. When I wrote the thing that I wrote with Hollinger, John wrote the idea of, like, okay, 
if you want to join the players, so like put a carve out in the collective bargaining agreement, basically saying like, if you want to join the players association, you have to come in and do, you know, X, Y, and Z at the combine, literally just like measure and take a medical. Like that's it. Like that's all you have to do. Yeah. I talked to a couple of agents about it and they were honestly like, yeah, like if, people wanted to do that. Okay. And you would think they'd be the people that would say no. And then I talked to a couple of NBA team personnel about it, just like literally pitching them the idea of like, what would be the downside of this? Basically like one person said, like the agents have a lot of juice with the players association and they like to control where their players go. And the players association is going to listen to them on it and say not to do it. So like if, feels like to me there is some leeway here to like maybe make this a thing in the next cba um given that like i've talked to agents about it and like some agents are like go for it but like it it, the the whole thing uh, on why this happens is that agencies like to wield it as like a powerful tool in order to maybe try and steer a prospect to you know x y and z team you can't really do that once you get outside of the top 10 it gets a little bit harder but like you know, like freaking Jeremy Sohan, like didn't measure. And oh, a lot of people, you know, what was alone? I'm Jeremy very high, but like Jeremy's not a guaranteed, you know, top eight pick, right? No. And I, I just thought that maybe because was it last year, or the season before when the NBA is like, no, 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 we're actually measuring you. We're actually getting your weight. Like you're not going to make up that you're six ten when you're seven feet tall and you say what are they gonna kidnap chet holmgren and make him like go into the like you're you're getting weighed right now it's the the scene in old school they pull up the van and like you say they want to kill you like that's what we're gonna do to like get guys to get weighed whatever it takes man it's dumb at some point you're gonna get weighed you're gonna measured like why we go to combine like i'm just gonna do like a couple crummy interviews like not give you real answers and uh yeah i'm not gonna weighed i'm not gonna play uh i'll answer some things where they cut away from the tv and i'm like can you go back Back to the combine, like oh, five on five, like these interviews are awesome. Get a lot of stuff out of it, yeah. but like it just it just seems like a weird thing. Yeah, Let, let's make this a real campaign from the podcast. Like, please, <laughs> in the next collective bargaining agreement, make it so that to join the NBA and to join the player association, whatever the fuck it is, you have to submit at the combine to a medical and to measurements. Like, yeah, don't no, have medical, to do team medical, interviews, medical, don't have to tough, do media. Right? But it should. I think that's a, another hurdle. I think the first hurdle is height and weight, right? I think medical will be like even more. It's just like the the halfway thing. But the like, me- the medical not? is the thing that NBA teams want, though. Like totally. they care about the measurements. They don't really care about the measurements. They want the medical. Like they want to confirm that these guys are healthy at the end of the day. Which is right. Just a, it's just a crazy ask. Like, hey, we're gonna pay fifty million dollars. Can we just see like if he's good or not? Like, nope. Just gotta like buy it off the lot. No test drive. Just gotta take it. Is there anything under the hood we have to worry about? Just drive it. See what happens. It's 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 weird, man. It's, it's really weird. Yeah, I don't think that it's asking a lot. I really like. I I think that that is like a genuine carve out. And I think that like the couple of NBA people I talk to, like they're a hundred percent right in terms of what like the reasoning behind why we don't have it is uh, I'm sure that, you know, the players have fought against it. And I'm sure that like part of it is too, the players like probably don't love the idea of having their long-term medical records, like in a record somewhere uh, for NBA teams to be able to pull up whenever free agency happens, because while draft prospects are not yet a part of the players association until they're drafted, 
they are eventually going to hit free agency and then teams are going to be able to look back through their medical records and go, okay, you know, this guy has a, you know, 20% chance of having a long-term knee injury or like, right. you know, they're going to have their doctors look through it and then decide, okay, we're going to cut his salary in free agency by 20% and every team will have access to it. So it'll essentially be like a, a collusive environment, right? I'm sure that that's the reasoning behind it, but if I if I was NBA teams, I would fight for that. I guess doesn't doesn't our iPhones have all that anyway? Does, does, don't people already know? There's smarter people than us to pack into like our health app and see how how tall and how much we weigh and what happened to my AirPods. It it just you, you should do it. I, I think it's just a silly thing. Okay, uh, next Matt Penny point on the combine. This is my last. This is, is my last combine point, and I know it's been beat to death. And I want to revisit this after the draft in a month. After it happens, the the picks are kind of selected, and here we are. Playing matters. I, I don't like the non-top 20 guaranteed guys or, or so deciding not to play. It hurt the handful of guys last year, Sharif Cooper and Jalen Johnson. Warranted or not, yeah. like their stock dropped. I, I would have liked to have seen Wendell Moore, Dalen Terry, Max Christie, J.D. Davidson just play because maybe the context in college was wrong for those guys. And lots of them in interviews, when you get feedback talking to teams, they politely say some of those things, right? Not throwing anybody, throwing anybody under the bus, but you're part of a greater team concept. They accepted their role. It was a little bit different than what they envisioned as a pro. They had the chance to go out there and play and be more of an individual in the combine, and you shut it down. So scouts, they just get a lot more out of five-on-five five than a pro day workout where, where everyone looks good. And it drives me crazy because if you go to see an NBA player workout or you go to an NBA arena pregame, those guys don't miss. It's it's not very often that they're like missing two or three jumpers in a row. So despite the editing and, and everything we see, it's great to see shot mechanics and, and movement and uh, if they're in shape or not. That's awesome. But I want to see these guys play. I want to see them actually play five on five. It's another just risky proposition. If you're outside that kind of top 20 guaranteed range, you can tumble, man. If it happens for two classes in a row – I hope the next group of guys will say, I don't want to be like that where I dropped 20 spots because I wasn't playing. Okay, so here here are your group of players that did not do athletic testing last year at the Combine. BJ Boston, dropped, right? James Booknight, slid on draft night, Uh, not necessarily due to not doing Combine things, but slid on draft night from where people thought he was going to go. But I would advise him not to play because he was like a top 20-ish guy. I would not have rolled him out there. Jared Butler had his own. He had his own middle stuff. Yep. Yeah. Um, Sharif Cooper slid. Cade Cunningham, Jalen Green, locked in top five picks. Mm -hmm. No chance they should play. Isaiah Jackson probably went where he was supposed to. Yeah. Right. Like that's a normal one. Uh, But where did he go? He went like 21 or so, right? Like that's sort of like that's the line for that. Isaiah Jackson up or down. Jalen Johnson and Kai Jones. Jalen Johnson went 20th. Kai Jones went 18th. Honestly, they slid from where they were supposed to go when the pre-draft process started. Um, Jonathan Kaminga locked in top seven pick or, you know, wherever he went. I think he went seventh. Uh, Isaiah Livers, I think, was coming off of the foot injury injury, last year. He didn't play the tournament, right? He had the T-shirt on, paying players. Yeah, he wasn't playing. Uh, Trey Mann. Trey Mann didn't slide. Trey Mann didn't decide to do anything. Didn't slide. Uh, Davion Mitchell did not slide. Evan Mobley locked in top five pick. Moses Moody slid to 14 not someone that did anything and i feel like that 
So he didn't, didn't hurt him. He didn't test. E- he didn't test either. I wouldn't anticipate to play five on five, but like Mark Williams tested. Like, hey, nine foot nine standing reach, great. You you did your part. Yeah, the, I'm sure that he measured, but I'm talking about did athletic testing as well. Got it. Um, Dayron Sharp, Cam Thomas, both of whom you know slid to the end of the first round. Yeah. Right. Uh, and there for some reason something is popping in my brain that Dayron Sharp might have had a reason for not doing it. I can't remember off the top of my head, but like. More guys there slid than stayed steady, mm-hmm. right? Just do it. Like, and then teams, the, the, the flip, for whatever the, reason, like whether you're good at basketball or not, teams care about this stuff and they think you're not competitive if you don't do this. Just fucking go test at the very least. <laughs> well, they're going to find out eventually. And, and that's what it, it's like. You, you did the assignment or you didn't. Like at some point you're playing. And uh, you don't want to hurt your draft right. stock. I, I understand that. That's the other flip of the coin. If, if you feel comfortable – in your range and you could live with falling 10 spots. And maybe there weren't as many guys who were the bones Highland or, or were the Josh Primo or probably the Jalen Williams this year. And I'd, I'd even throw a Smith into that bucket too. But for the, like the fringy, like really fringy first round, second round guys, I'd say you got to play. Yeah. And like at the end of the day, like I don't even know that I'm advocating playing and playing in the five on five. I think it'd be smarter for some of these guys playing the five on five, unless they have promises, but like at least go through the process of doing yeah. the combine stuff. Like it just makes more sense, I think. Okay. I'm excited to get like six agents calling me after that little <laughs> section there and being like, fuck what off. What did you do? Um, it's fine. We'll go to your program. Okay. Don't worry about it. We'll be there. Fucking pro day. I I can't with pro days. Like oh, they're good. They, it's okay. It's okay. As Spin said on the last podcast, they are not real basketball. Like it is not real life. Uh, okay. Let's uh, let's go into the mailbag. We have a lot of really, really good. Uh, what was our what was our number roughly this week? All right. Let's see here. I've got like 70, 70 wow, plus. That's a lot. Here. Yeah. Thank Draft you. Season. We Thank you. Are so appreciative of it. Um, we can't get to all 70, but you know, what can you do? Okay. Let's see here. Penny's uh, from Jared Katz, Jared Katz 30. Penny's favorite type of pizza from Antonio's. Oh, wow. What a question. So it was chicken bacon ranch for sure. So chicken bacon ranch or chicken quesadilla. Mexicano is really good too. But if I had to do one, I'm not a huge bacon guy. It's chicken bacon ranch. I love that. Thank you for asking. I can taste Antonio's right now. The nostalgia. <laughs> Uptown Amherst. Are you now forever. getting Antonio's tonight for dinner? Uh, I'm not driving to Amherst, unfortunately. I, I wish I were, but I'm I'm not. Okay. Take me back. Uh, Give me the time machine. I'll be there in 10 minutes. From OKC Thunder Baby. <laughs> How much smoke should we be believing this long before the draft? Who are the people we should trust? I'm not going to answer the second question there. Trust no I one. Will talk that, that, about... That's the answer. Trust no one. Like, believe it a little bit, but trust no one. I, I'm th- I think there are things that can be trusted. But, like, I also think that, you know, th- there's a lot of smoke happening right now. And... The, the team that does it most, the team that is very good at it is Oklahoma City. Oh, <laughs> they yeah. are uh, very good Elite. at the top of the draft. Because if you remember, last year, uh, they had, people had them taking everyone but Josh Giddy. And the funny thing was that I had even known that they had done more work into Josh Giddy than all but like two teams in the NBA. Uh, you know, And they probably did more than what I know into Giddy. The, yeah, and they had that I still didn't workout, think that they would take right? it. 
didn't have the sneaky work on LA that was like kind of like hush hush. They worked them out. It's like whatever. They're taking James Book night. Like everyone knows well, that. I, I think they had about? like scouts like get, get through like two weeks of quarantine to like see him in Australia. <laughs> like I don't think it was just like Toronto that oh, did that. Man. Like <laughs> I love that. It's beautiful. Yeah. Um. But yeah, no, it's, it's Oklahoma it's, City is very good at this. And, and it's, look, it's hard I think even for people that connected to yeah. like waft through what it is too. Yeah, I think that we're starting to see a lot of smoke from teams. Like, I think that Oklahoma, I think Orlando's starting to throw it. I think Oklahoma City's starting to throw it. Um, yeah, it, it's hard to know what to believe. Even, even as someone who has real connections throughout the NBA, it's hard to know what to believe. And yeah. like, where to figure out the values from. Um, let's see. When it comes to team building, do you, this is from Parker Eves price. When it comes to team building, do you prefer to have multiple ball handlers who can create or one great creator with good three point shooters? Uh, that's, that depends on like who the player is. I, I wouldn't necessarily say it, it's one or the other, I, I guess multiple, unless you're telling me like my main guy is a uh, top 10 player in the league and he has shooters around him. But as soon as that guy gets dinged up or hurt, as we've seen, then you're looking around at each other like, okay, who's going to score? I can yeah. shoot threes. Great. Can you create? No, not really. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, if you have a great defender that can stay honest on that one great creator, uh, it allows your help defenders to not have to collapse and you can just stay honest on the three point shooters and try and contest or just let that one guy beat you from two point range. I, I think that I prefer multiple ball handlers personally. I think that's how you win in the playoffs. Like you need to have a couple of guys. Um, I think even Dallas has multiple great ball handlers and Luca and Jalen Brunson and, you know, I don't think they get this far. They did, certainly haven't gotten that far in the playoffs the last two years before Jalen took this leap, right? So, yeah, I, I think multiple great ball handlers. If that's the if that's the question from Andrew Eastwick, this is one that I kind of wanted to get into. Uh, is there a case for Mark Williams over Jalen Duran? Oh, I say Mark Williams number one. There's definitely a case. I, I think I'm there. I have uh, Mark Williams. 12th and Jalen Durden 14. So I, I do have that. Yeah. I keep going back and forth on it. I do think I've marked slightly higher. The reason that I have marked higher is because I think he is much better positionally. I think he's much better uh, in terms of just having different types of like variable pick and roll coverage. And part of this could just be Memphis decided to drop the whole year and they didn't really like they did some other things. And I thought that Jalen got very heavy footed and handsy out on the perimeter and Mark can get a little bit handsy, but it's not quite as bad. I think his positioning is better. I think his feet are just as good as Jalen's. And I think that he just has better tools. Like Mark Williams has elite physical tools. He's has a nine foot nine standing reach that is bigger than all but one person in the NBA. And that one person might be out of the NBA next year. So like, it's hard for me to look at Mark Williams and Jalen Duran and say, Oh, Jalen Duran is the upside play when Mark just like kind of has better tools than what yeah, Jalen Duran does. Uh, not like I have them very close. I, I don't think there's like an enormous difference between them as prospects. Cause I think that where Jalen actually does succeed over Mark is he has more offensive skill and there's a little bit more offensive firepower there with what uh, Jalen might be able to like short roll eventually and pass. And he might be able to put the ball on the deck once, you know, to finish 
I don't think Mark's going to really be able to do any of that. I think Mark's going to be very limited offensively, but he might be so big and so long and so athletic that that limited offensive skill set, he might just be great at it and make it work. I, I keep going back and forth, but I do think there is a genuine case. Yeah. And, and Mark too, it's if you're just the rim runner, lob finisher, but also rim protector and your wings and guards who just do their thing and, and then be in the dunker spot ready to go when the defense collapses and throw at the rim. Great. Take that guy. Okay. This is, this is a fun one that you're going to be able to answer a little bit more than me uh, from, I, I can say, you know, what I think of it, but from uh, Michael Roth at Mike Roth OU, after 24-7 has unleashed their new 2023 prospect rankings, which I assume is for high school, yeah, how that. much stock do you put in them? Seems like there's always prospects who the media likes more than NBA guys, even before they enter college. Who are some guys in the 2022 and 2023 draft whose high school rank didn't equal NBA draft interest? It, so rankings are incredibly hard. It's very hard doing our big board yeah. and, and ours changed throughout the year. It's harder in high school because it's you don't so know much harder. Which guys so peak, much harder peak early, which guys peak late, which is which guys have been like given too much, which guys are playing out of position, what's their actual work ethic. And it sort of like starts to make its way a little bit as seniors in high school. And, and then you throw it out again. They get to college and. Malachi Branham's a top 30 kid. Now we're talking top 10 in the draft. Jay Nivey was 50th in the country. Could he go number one? So it, it's very hard. And I think the traits are different because a lot of NBA guys, when they go to events, they look for maybe more long-term things where if you're an evaluator in the high school space, you can't turn your eye, like blind eye, to like production either. So it's this weird kind of blend and balance. And that's why I always love it when NBA guys see high school guys for the first time because a lot of us, and we get the same way in the draft space, it's not like consensus, but it's like sort of group thinky where we all have the same top 25 or so guys. And you sit next to an yeah. NBA scout, and they say, oh, a kid can't play. He stinks. Like he can't – He watch his feet here on how he tries to hedge and recover. That's never going right. to work. He's going to get burnt. Or, yeah, the way he shoots works now, but it's a really low release. So as you go back to NBA line, that's a block shot. It's a shot trajectory. Yeah. yeah. So in, in growth spurts and development and weight. So it's really hard to figure out what, like, the mix is there. It's uh, Eric Bossy calling Matt Penny. <laughs> yeah, to it is. He's right here. Him. It's my dad trying to FaceTime uh, for not me, for my son. No, he won't see me. So that that's my my roundabout way of saying that if we just rank the the top ten guys from there and pluck them into the draft, it, it's going to change. And those guys do an awesome job. It's a million different factors, and it's it's a very totally. very inexact science. Well, and they're evaluating for drastically different games. Like they're evaluating for both college and NBA settings, right? And those two things are so different in terms of the way they operate. Like. Where is the middle ground between two things that are so different? I, I don't know. Um, I will say one guy that I like a little bit more than what for the NBA than what rankings boards do. I like Terrence Arsenault. Uh, yeah, he's he's a, a, I don't want to say trendy, but he's a, he's a name that could pop that a lot of people said that too. Yeah, I feel like he's what like thirty fifth, maybe something like that. Yeah, I don't know what range. he is in the updated mm-hmm. rankings necessarily, but. Um, yeah, I think that's just a game like six seven seems to have super long arms, really shoots it. Like you can easily imagine that translating to the NBA at a very high level. Um, 
give any any strong opinions on no, a guy it's, that it's, you think like fits the NBA a little bit better? No, not not necessarily. Just it's it's a hard tumble from the top, and as you go back and we can reflect and, and have the benefit of doing that, that it never ends up like exactly that way. I, I thought Cliff Alexander would work out of high school. I did. I'm like big, yeah. powerful. He's just going to dunk it, rip the rim off. How's that guy not play? Like he didn't stick around. Jaleel Okafor was even dominant at Duke, and then against the NBA, he's not quite the same player. So it, yeah. it, it's very different games, and as we've talked, evolution and, and bigs trying to shoot more, and sometimes trying to shoot too much more, and like be a be a big, just be a five that shoots instead of trying to be a three. Uh, so that's that's sort of my take. But I'll I'll get to see more. I'm, I'm going back out to Pangos All American Camp next week and see a, a new cluster of guys that I haven't put eyes on yet. What a great event! Honestly, yeah. just like one of the best events of the year, I think. Yeah. Okay. From bomb boards, Maxwell Bombback. Uh, which player do you think has a higher ceiling than they are given credit for? And which player do you think has a scarier floor than is currently discussed? Uh, I, I can answer the first one while you're thinking about this. <laughs> I, I think that people are underrating Jabari Smith's ceiling, as we kind of talked about earlier. I think that people are thinking of him as like the safe prospect at the top, right? Um you know, doesn't really have a lot of handle, doesn't pass it well, doesn't shoot. I think we're underrating the fact that he's 18 years old and can already like get to his spot for his jump shot basically whenever he wants already. And the ceiling there is remarkably high. Uh, if he continues to improve his handle, like the functional improvement of his handle is not a lot. It's just a little, and he becomes very, very difficult to guard. I think. It's a good one. I'm going with Keegan Murray from Iowa. It's been this weird thing with Keegan where we're like, yeah, he's fifth. Okay, good. Who's sixth? Like, that's more exciting. He's really good, and he has good size. He's continued to improve. Uh, He averaged 24 points per game. He showed he's able to, like, stretch out and shoot and do some more things. We're all underselling him as just, like, the safe thing, but I'd argue it's the the safest play out of, like, the the first six or seven guys here because the other guys fall and tumble and Chet's body can't sustain and Jabari can't put it on the floor and Jaden Ivey's not as good as an off-ball guy and Paolo can't do this. Keegan Murray is going to be a really solid NBA player at minimum, at minimum. And then the floor, I don't know, like I feel like Ochai Baji is talked about regularly as just like a very safe prospect. Uh, I think that like the worst case scenario for him is probably like eighth or ninth man, but that's yeah. probably lower than what – people would think in terms of floor um you know honestly it could be lower like if he's shooting you know if the shooting we saw at the end of the year as opposed to the beginning of the year is what it is like he's very much a pure rotational wing not like a guy that you take in the top you know 17 or wherever he is yeah good one and and people point to the older guys and the seniors and and maybe this is it mine are are both I don't know. I'd say Shaden Sharp just because we don't know. Like we we don't know kind of like we, uh, we, we I, I think people is. I think people think that's a pretty scary floor, don't you? Uh I, I do. I don't want to like completely throw him that way either, but I just, I just don't know enough. AJ Griffin scares me. He he really does. And I, I don't know where to slot him on my board because despite the shooting, if that we just talked about the playoffs, the shooting's not there, the defense isn't there. Like who is he as an NBA player? If he's yeah. in shape and he's healthy, <clears throat> excuse me, and he looks more like the kid from Archbishop Stepanak and look great in individual workouts and out on the summer circuit, fine. 
But with the injury history and, and with the shooting, it's been really good. If that's removed, who is he as a player? From our good friend, Jeff Goodman. Uh, oh, boy. Who is Matt Penny most like that could be legitimately drafted this year? I'm not putting that evil on anybody. Wait, what? Like, <laughs> Like who's in this class who I could be? That's that's. Uh, that's I think I think Jeff's asking like who is your game most like? <laughs> yeah, none of the above. I'm like yeah. I'm searching on the board here because some prospect or some agent would would yell at at me or you. I don't I don't think that guy's in there. Baylor Shireman's out, so I'm out. Yeah, sh- no Shireman. Um, if you grew a mullet like Luke Travers, maybe maybe that's it. Oh, that's a good one. My nickname yeah. in high school was Dunley because people said I was the worst version of Mike Dunleavy Jr. possible. Uh, and he's not in this draft. He's he's older than I am. So, um, Earlier in the cycle, Sam, you discussed that – this is from Garrett Johnson. Um, earlier in the cycle, you discussed that none of 2022 international prospects held a first-round grade for you. Have you come around on any of them since then? Yeah, I think that Usman Jang is definitely a first-round prospect for sure. Uh, Jovic – I'm a little bit more worried about than some seem to be. I do think he'll end up like at the back end of the first round for me, but like it's very, it's going to be closer because I really worry about his defensive upside uh, comparatively to what others do. And a little bit the passing too, right? Just some of the passing and, and offensive reads. I have him 31st because he, he can shoot and does have decent size, but I'm not completely sold either. Um. How do you envision Kenneth Lofton being utilized in the NBA from draft film school? Kenneth Lofton has decided to enter the NBA draft and be fully committed to it. Uh, Penny, I will ask you. Oh, bad, bad ask. Uh, I don't know. I, I really don't know because it's an unorthodox game where it works and you don't think it is. And we spend time on defense and, and who does he guard and who does he cover? Where was he on your board prior to this? Not on it. So outside the top 100 or top 60? Yes, top 100. Yeah. So do you think then, with him going all the way in, do you, I don't want to say promise, but enough positive feedback from the combine where he played well that this was, a, I don't know, an end result that he ends up on a roster next season? Because there's still like, yeah. it's still summer league, right? It's still trying to work your way on. I, I don't say I'd be surprised, but I, I don't I don't know if anyone's reaching for him in like the 40s. I have no idea. Um, yeah, I love the game. Like, I love the idea of Kenneth Lofton. I am super intrigued by the fact that he, like, he came into the combine in better shape for sure. Like, he still has yeah. a long way to go. I think the pathway for him is becoming like a great shooter. He showed some like jab step three point shooting that was interesting at the combine. Um, I, yeah, I don't know that he'll be a top 100 prospect for me even at the end of the process and if he is it'll be near the bottom for sure yeah i, I was sort of I, I don't right. think he has any chance to defend anyone is the issue yeah who's he guard fours probably not smaller for fives and a really good passer i, I also don't want to like go all the way into negative town but like a really good passer a really good feel but just the the combination of lack of size and foot speed's a, a tough one in the nba That's uh okay from Garrett Scare, uh, with more roster spots, two-way deals, and more G League teams, will we see draft and stash picks become more obsolete? We have seen that recently, I think, actually. Like, more teams have used draft picks on American college players. I 
think that there is still value in drafts and stashes. Like I was talking about this with an agent uh, that represents an international player in this class earlier this week. And if I was a team in the fifties, I feel like I would always draft and stash in the fifties because you get an extra asset out of it. Like unless there's a guy that is in the fifties that you absolutely adore and have like as a top 25 prospect and you just feel like, you know what, let's, let's go for it. Right. Like we need this guy on our roster. We're going to two way him, or we're going to give him a roster spot, like whatever it is. Right. Um, Then yeah, take that guy. But if you're in the fifties and you're just going to sign, you're going to try and sign a guy, you know, at the end of the draft to a two way deal. Why wouldn't you take from a strategy perspective, the extra asset of being able to stash a guy, even if it's, you know, like a 5% chance, 10% chance he comes over and then sign a guy in free agency to a two-way deal instead of just taking the guy on the two-way deal in the draft. You know what I'm saying? I do. Just a draft. You get the extra asset. It's changed. The asset play changes it. My argument was going to be there's more of those let's draft and stash just here. Like, yes, you you have a, a G League affiliate franchise in the second round. Sometimes those are the conversations. Like, we'll take you right now. Will you go play in the G League? Will you take a two A? We take a a one year deal guarantee. Yeah, exactly. So that it's just shifted a little bit, and with the international class not being as strong, there's a lot of names in the second round. So I, I think you will see more of it in, in this draft class than maybe the, the last year or the year before. Okay, as from Alex Young, thirty nine. After being a creamy peanut butter snob my whole mm. life. I now think crunchy peanut butter has an actual case for being better. Not to get too political, but where do you stand on this? Oh, this is political. It's a non-political show. I have always been a creamy guy. Uh, I switched over in middle school, I feel like maybe for six months into chunky, but I'm a peanut butter and jelly purist, and I would stay creamy. Chunky's just weird. It's just the consistency isn't isn't always like authentic and... You don't know the bite what you're getting. Like I want to know what I'm I'm actually eating. I know so, they have peanuts, but so Laura is a crunchy person, Ooh. and I am a creamy person. So we always have two separate types of peanut butter in the house. I have tried, like when we just like weren't eating as much peanut butter. <laughs> I have tried to go down the road of crunchy. I yeah. probably went a year where I ate crunchy peanut butter. Yeah, because I just like would have it occasionally, and that was it. When I went back to smooth again, I was just like, "Oh, this is a no-brainer. See, like, this yeah, is a drastically that's, that's better is. product." I think so. Yeah, but um, you're, you're not one of these people that is like, eh, "I like creamy peanut butter, but I prefer Nutella." That seems to be like a little bit of like a weird wave too. <laughs> From Derv Twenty. Tari Eason is an anagram for AI treason. Does this information change his draft stock at all? Significantly. This is the smoke we're talking about. Some NBA team put that out there. They really like Tari. They want you to incorporate treason with him. That's why they, they have him stashed for, for the 19th pick. Oh, my God. That is incredible stuff. I really like that one. There was one that I'm trying to get to. It was from someone. I'm sorry. I I can't find it, but I saw it earlier when we were kind of going through. Um it was who do you like better as a prospect, Josh Giddy or Dyson Daniels? Because now Josh we're starting Giddey. to get like yeah. the Dyson Daniels like top, you know, six or seven or someone. I think John said top five 
buzz at one point. Um, Someone said five. Yeah. Yeah. But Think one of the I, I have gotten like, and buzz. look, I've, I've gotten real top 10 buzz the whole year. So mm-hmm. that's not like new for this show. Um, wouldn't be crazy, I guess, if Detroit took him at five. But yeah, Josh or Dyson, which one do you like better? Diddy, I, I wouldn't like Dyson Daniels with with Cade. I don't think that fits what they're they need for him next to him. Really, like I, I want another shooter, and shooting isn't necessarily what Dyson Daniels does. It got better as the the year wore on. Giddy's probably a, a better passer, a little bit better off the dribble defensively. Dyson Daniels is better. You put them together, make a, a super Australian prospect. That's probably the answer. I don't think we have the the science to to do that right now. I, I would say Giddy. I don't think there's a, a huge margin there though. I I think I would take Josh because I think that the way he processes the game, and this isn't to say Dyson is bad at this. It's just that Josh, I think, is special at this. The way that he processes the game so quickly, I think, is just so special. Um, Dyson is a great defender, obviously, and I think that he's going to be a great – I think they're very close. I, I think they're very, very close. Um, in terms of prospects. And I think Dyson's going to make a day one impact. I think that if Josh ever shoots, so like the skill, the, the swing skill for both is shooting, mm-hmm. right? Can both ever become high level shooters? I think Josh's ceiling is higher if he becomes a shooter. Cause Josh will be like a fucking all-star if Josh is a shooter. And with Giddy, with him going to Oklahoma city and having the ball in his hands, there was obviously a, a building and, you're, you're figuring out a, a little bit on the fly. I don't know if I trust Dyson Daniels kind of like my lead guard right away as much as I would Giddy because the handle is just a, a little bit tighter. The vision's a, a little bit better. Uh, so that's why I have him ahead of him by, by some, not not a crazy amount. Okay, final question. Uh, what's the highest pick? This is from Principal CR Porter. What's the highest pick that you would trade for Jeremy Grant in this 2022 NBA draft? <sighs> Just like straight up, not like other other pieces. It's not in the top straight five up. for me. I'll, I'll tell you that. I. It would depend on if I'm signing him to an extension afterward. Like, do I get the extension? Um, like it. So I'll. I'll There's I'll a weird year you. too for him. Like, I, not what I thought he would be. I'll I'll pitch you on this. So like, I, I threw this out to an agent a couple days ago. Say you're Sacramento and you're just desperately looking for that three, four hybrid forward and you want to try and win now, right? Mm-hmm. Is there a chance that Indiana would move you Chris Duarte and number six for number four? If they just like really in, love in Sacramento and, and Indiana, like we're not doing this anymore. We've already we've already done these these weird trades. Maybe they just, would. <laughs> maybe they would, right? All right, so um, it's, it's Duarte and Six for number four. I'll I'll take Duarte and six. Well, it depends. On I think I would rather have four because I'd well, rather have Jaden Ivy. Well, that, that that's your answer. This is a mouse trap. I fell into it. If it's Jaden Ivy, it depends. Are you saying like you know who one, two, and three are? I'd rather have Jaden Ivy than I guess Duarte and who's six? Shane Sharp, Johnny Davis, Tyson Daniels. Yeah, I, I prefer Ivy. So I'm. But you, you prefer all of Paulo, Chet, and Jabari probably as well yes. than Duarte right. and Six, right? Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so if you're Indiana, you would rather have number four than Duarte and Six. Yes. Yeah. 
if you're the kings, and I'm not recommending this. Like, I, I, I would not do this at all. I want to be very clear about this. But if you're the kings, then mm-hmm. you can pick up Crystal Arte, move down to number six. Maybe you try and slide back one more time to then try and, like, you know, m- maybe maybe the Spurs want to move nine and 20 for six because mm-hmm. yep, they picks. have a specific guy, 20. right? Mm-hmm. And then you pick up nine and 20 and you're the Kings. And then you move nine for Grant and you end up with like Duarte Grant and 20 as opposed to just moving number four for. <laughs> is this, is this the story of like the guy that starts with a paper clip and ends up with like a four wheeler? Kind of. Like, yeah. He, he like that, pen, that's the way I'm envisioning the pen was it. was for a bit. roll of paper towels. That was for a stapler. And yeah, we got Jeremy Grant. What do you think? It's good. I, like, I, lost, I lost it on the way a little bit, but I like the thinking. It's not a bad strategy, right? Because like, are, are the are the Pistons really going to do better than like the ninth overall pick for Jeremy Grant? Like, I don't think probably not. So. on a one year deal. Like, no, I expiring. think that's yeah. tough. You know, unless unless like maybe the Blazers like are willing to do seven and sign him to an extension. I. Well, like, that, maybe, do... maybe that maybe that's it. If you're if Dame's like, hey, we need a guy. Like, uh, we we can't yeah. do thing. Like, we, we have Anthony Simons. Like, we're it's we we got to rock. Now. And it, and again, I would not do that. Like, I, I would I, I wouldn't move seven for Jeremy Grant personally. But I, I can see that world happening. Maybe if you're the Kings, it's literally just the first part of what I said. It's like four for six and Duarte, and then you end up with Duarte and Jeremy Grant instead of just Jeremy Grant. Or something yeah. like that, right? Like I'm. Two this is me totally spitballing. Like I'm. I'm not reporting <laughs> no. any of this. I'm just like trying to come up with feasible ideas that, like, if you're Indiana and you love the top four prospects and you're just like kind of ambivalent on six or so, maybe, like, you know, maybe, maybe that's a move that could get you into the top four, taking advantage of a Kings team that desperately wants to compete next year. If I was the Kings, I would just take Jade Nivey. <laughs> like, yeah, just yeah. take the guy, in my opinion, and then figure out the rest later. I don't know if the Kings will feel that way because the Kings front office is on a one-year contract and it feels like there's real pressure to win now. The Demonis Sabonis trade, I think, is evidence of that. So, yeah, that's kind of that's, – that's where I'm at on all of this. It, it's – I don't know. I don't know how smart any of that was. That's good. That's a good experiment, though. Yeah, I'm trying to trying to come up with, you know, things that aren't quite brilliant but aren't, you know, totally dumb. Okay. Movies. Mm. TV shows. Yes. Penny, what have you watched? I finished Ozark. That was a a journey. It was a drag to the finish. It was. I love Marty Bird. Uh-huh. I love I love Jason Bateman. It took me a while. Did you watch it? No, I haven't yet. It took me a while to get there. Uh, it wasn't like was over it was more like conclusion and like all right whatever shrug is done uh still better call Saul I'm I'm a few episodes behind I I texted you this I never watched I think you should I think you should leave and I downloaded every episode for the plane so I had like a two-hour plane ride and someone probably thought something was wrong with me I was crying the first the first skit the infomercial about the toilets so I, I could not control myself and the other two I started watching under the banner of heaven on Hulu with yeah. Andrew Garfield, uh, yeah, a few a few episodes in on that, 
and I'm three episodes in on Candy with Jessica Beale on Hulu also. Mm. So my goal is to finish those next two episodes tonight before the playoff game tomorrow. Good. I'm I'm uh, I'm into it. She's really really good. I I know where it's going because it's it's a murder mystery. The murder happens. No spoilers. That's the first episode. Like somebody's dead. Yeah. I figure it out. Haven't like totally had all the the things in, in the right place yet, but uh, I'm I'm hoping for a turn here. But more importantly, you tweeted about it. You're excited about it. What movie did you see in theaters this week? Top Gun Maverick. <laughs> it came out here before it came out in the U.S. for some reason. I uh, told somebody in the office today. They said it's out. I was like, I don't know. Sam said he saw it. It came out on Tuesday here, as opposed to I think it comes out tomorrow for you guys. It is one of the best movie experiences at the theaters I've had in years. Like <laughs> Laura and I had the conversation afterward. We were like, when was the last time we had a conversation or had a um, experience in the movies that was that good? I think that like I enjoyed it more than both the Avengers movies. I think it might be like mission impossible fallout for me. Okay. Like it's that good. It is so amazing. Is it so amazing? Like we're talking corny, amazing. Like that was amazing. They just did a reboot. We, I know it's different and and whatever, but was it like getting the, the eighties juices flowing again, that you're back in that world that, that doesn't exist or as a standalone, if there wasn't a, a top gun one, per se, would you still be as excited as you are about Top Gun now? You definitely need to see Top Gun one mm. for it to be as emotionally resonant as it can be, but it's still fucking outstanding. It's so good. Like there's, there, there's even one if you just have to ask. remove that, like there are, the plane sequences in this movie are fucking insane. They're crazy. And the, like you are like watching this and like glued to the screen. It is like, well, it the is plane cra- stuff is I don't real, know how right? they did it. Well, my buddy Elliot was telling me today in the office that it's like, they actually were in the planes for like 14 hours or something nuts for like 40 seconds of, of filming. Like they were that precise with what it was. I don't know enough about it, but I do know that when I was watching it, I was like, I have no fucking idea how you film it. <laughs> like, it, as it long as it's not a green some... screen where it's like a plane flying, it's like, that's superimposed. That's not real. Yeah, no, it's nothing like that. Like, there, there are a lot of sequences where I'm just like, I have no idea how you did that, but this is absolutely amazing. Yeah. Okay, what was your question? Uh, is there volleyball? There is not volleyball. I thought they'd do like an homage to that, like roll a volleyball across, like all time's sake. What do you think? No, nothing. You will, you'll see. There's, there's not volleyball. There's something else. Okay. (laughs) Pool volleyball. Uh, That's, that's, that's a good one. Uh, I am a, a big time, long time Jurassic Park, Jurassic World fan. I saw Jurassic Park the first day it came out in theaters. My dad let me skip school. Same thing for Jurassic Park 2. That's a big one for me. You said I have to see Top Gun before that. Uh, so uh, I guess that, you have that two comes weeks first. In the, before yeah, I, I do. World. But I also <laughs> depends on the NBA playoffs and what, what days stuff happens. Because right now my, my TV is so limited. Normally I'd finish these series, TV series. But the games just being every other night. It's like I, I yeah. don't have that that 
Australian window of time where, hey, the game ends. It's 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Now what? Which would be awesome. Well, uh, what no. we need, we need the Warriors to win. Like, that's it. No, don't say that. Why? Right? Why so you can the- go see Top Gun on Saturday. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I guess Celtics to win, not the Warriors. Well, I'm saying if the Warriors win, the series ends, but I guess Celtics win, the series ends too, right? So, yeah, 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 we just need, we just need Celtics win. Need Celtics win, I can go, yeah, Saturday. Exactly. Memorial Day. What's better than Memorial Day and see a Top Gun in the theaters? Oh, my God. Just go, go wave your American flag. You gotta love it. I, I'm, I'm such a, uh, I can't do it as much anymore with my job, but I used to be like a good, like, afternoon matinee guy with like nobody around, spread out, have your Diet Coke, have your popcorn. Yeah. It's it's harder for me as I get older and crankier to be in like a full movie theater. Some experiences like make it better, but a lot of times I'm like, I don't just stop talking through the movie, stop yelling, just uh, yeah, they're gonna fly the planes, just let them fly. I want to enjoy this. Yeah, yeah. Th- this I did not see it with a raucous crowd. Hot take: the Australian audience <laughs> may not have reacted to Top Gun in quite the same way as the American audience would have. <laughs> uh, Tom Cruise, get him. He's right there. <laughs> yeah, like when Tom Cruise walks up in front of an American flag and it's like very clearly like a uh a statement of patriotism. Yeah. You know, no, but nobody's uh nobody's yucking it up, cheering from the crowd. <laughs> um okay. Uh Penny, I, I watched Shining Girls. I told you Shining Girls. Yes, is great. I, I uh, just saw the preview for the first time last night. It looked awesome, but I haven't I haven't seen it yet. It's pretty bonkers, uh what I've seen so far. Um to the people that sent us questions that we didn't get to, thank you. I appreciate it. Might try and do like a quick YouTube mailbag to answer some other ones that we didn't get to at some point, maybe this weekend. Um, if you want your questions answered, go subscribe to the YouTube channel, uh, Game Theory Podcast with Sam Vicini at YouTube. Uh, what else, Penny? Tell the people where they can find you. That's the most important part here. Oh, I'm easy to find. I'm on Twitter, Matt underscore Penny. That's that's all in my work here and there. Two places, really easy. If you're listening to the pod, you're you're here already. So half the battle. <laughs> <laughs> Come back here. Uh, I'll be here eventually. Yeah, well, I I think I'll have a big board update next week. Whenever we finalize the actual early entry list, yeah. I'm just kind of waiting on decisions before I really update. And it will be a pretty sizable update because now that I'm like getting through the draft guide and like significantly diving into the like little intricacies and details of these guys, I've moved some players around pretty substantially. Um, Go read and look at that, I would say, whenever it comes out. I will also have a playoffs thing at some point this weekend because I want to talk about playoffs. And uh, I will find someone that is willing to do so with me. Uh, But until next time, we will talk soon.